Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. It's so good to be here and it's so good to see people in 3D, I have to say. It's taken me a while to get used to it, but it's, it's so much better. Um, I'm Alice, if you missed it, and I've been a part of Revelation Church since 2007. So I was here when the Vargasons were still here, and Faith, their oldest girl, was three months old. She's now 14. Scary, scary times. Um, So we are currently going through a sermon series on the book of James. Uh, So if you have your Bible, please do get it out. And if you've missed any of the previous sermons, please do go back online and listen, because they are really good. They're punchy, and they cut to the heart. Um, But that's why they're so good. (laughs) We want to be changed by the gospel, don't we? So please do go back and listen. Um, But today we're looking at chapter 4, and we're looking at the final five verses of chapter 4. So I am going to read this out. In fact, it's going to come up on the screen. I'll read from here. So it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year... Oh, oh. Spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, it is sin. He's Frank, old James. He loves it. Cuts straight to the point. James is telling us that boasting is evil. And um, I'm sure all of you have people in your life you can think of right now, people that boast. People, maybe colleagues or family or friends, and you think, I know who that person is. That person who's always coming in telling me how good they are at something or how much they've spent on something. You know, always trying to push themselves forward and, and prove themselves um, and sort of put themselves above everyone else. But before you start pointing fingers, what I really want us to do today is look at our own hearts and apply this passage to our own hearts and see where we're boasting and where we're arrogant. Now, if I preached this message two years ago, it would have been a completely different message. But we have just been through a pandemic and everything has been shaken. Everything is up in the air. Nothing is the same as what it was. And um, it's not as easy as this passage is saying to say, I'm going to go to this town and start a job, or I'm going to move to this country. It's not quite as simple, is it? We can't just get a flight and move countries. It's not that straightforward. We can barely get a flight to go and holiday or go and see family. We, we have so much insecurity in our jobs. Many of us have lost jobs. Many of us don't know when the paycheck is, the next paycheck is, check is coming in. Even a few weeks ago, there was a petrol crisis. We didn't know how much fuel there was going to be for people to drive to get anywhere. There's so much instability right now. And people are desperately searching for some kind of security and some kind of something to put their trust in that is, that is secure. And we've realized in the last few years that we actually have so little control over so many things. And COVID is completely out of our control. 
Like, even if we do all the things that we're being told to do, get our vaccines, get the, wear the mask, isolate, self-isolate, avoid crowds, we can still catch it. It's this tiny, invisible virus that's, that, that travels through air. We can't see it. It could travel in the food that we eat or could come through the letterbox. We can't control everything. And it's created this anxiety in us that in my lifetime, I have never witnessed such a mass scale of anxiety, of fear that has come over the globe, let alone just our country. And that kind of anxiety is, really makes us vulnerable. And I just want to address that anxiety that's, that people are still living in now and, and say if anyone even here today is living or listening online, is really struggling with anxiety, is really crippled by it, I want to pray. And if you know somebody, someone in your network, in your family or friendship group, that's really crippled by fear, just hold them in your heart right now, because I really want to pray. It's something that we're not, it's not our inheritance in Jesus. We are not, we have not been born again to live with anxiety and fear. We've been robbed of so much in the, year, in the last year and a half, and I do not want any, any of us to move forward from the sermon carrying anxiety. So I pray, Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the God of peace. Your peace flows from heaven like a river. And I just break the power of anxiety. I break the power of fear in our hearts in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus that covers us. I break it now. For anyone in this room that is under the crippling power of fear or anxiety, I break the power in the name of Jesus. And I pray you replace that space that it's taken up with your peace, your perfect peace. Let it flood through us right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're in a spiritual battle. We cannot let fear and anxiety win. It's not our inheritance. Now, I don't know why so many people have got COVID. I don't know why it's been allowed to spread. I don't know why 5 million people globally have died. I don't know why some people get it and some people don't. I don't know why at the turn of the 20th century, the Spanish flu killed 50 million people and they didn't even have vaccines back then. We can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. But there is things that we can put our trust in, and we can, we can read in the Bible about God and, and the things, his promises and his security that he gives us. And we, we can read and know that from ashes, as we were singing earlier, he brings beauty from ashes. He binds up broken hearts. He brings miracles, and he heals. And also, if you read in the Bible you'll see that we're not the first generation to go through a global disaster. There's been wars. We haven't lived through a global war. There's been famines. There's been volcanoes, earthquakes. There's been disasters over generations. We're just one generation. And in 2 Peter 3.8, it says that to God, a thousand years is like a day. Poof, a thousand years. And a day is like a thousand years to him. I find that really hard to get my head around. But God is in control. And after the last year and a half, we need to question ourselves. Do we really believe that? Is, do we really believe in our hearts? Is God in control? As the Bible says, he is. And I'm going to just pick out a few verses from this passage and use a few other illustrations from the Bible to help us to see that he is in control and we can escape the fear and anxiety and live in faith and hope for the future. So the first verse I want to look at is verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
We don't, we don't know. And God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. Say, for example, you got given an inheritance. You win this amazing inheritance from your great-grandmother, and you've got like a few hundred thousand pounds, and you think, excellent, I am going to invest this in something really good that's going to bless loads of people. I'm going to build a house in Greece, and I'm going to make it a holiday home, and all my friends and family are going to go. And so you spend the next three years of your life building this dream home with a swimming pool. It's got everything. And, um, and then you come home, and you're like, I've done everything. I put everything I have into this. It's going to be amazing. You send letters to all your friends and family, and you're like, come, look what I've done. I've, I've built this thing. We're going to get free holidays forever now. And um, what you hadn't realized is November comes tomorrow, and there's a massive storm. And anyone who's been in Greece in October, November knows that the storms they get there are ferocious. And also what you hadn't realized is that the ground that you bought, the land that you bought, was unstable. And when the winds and the rain came, there was a landslide, and the whole house literally just fell into the sea. It feels unrealistic, but it can happen. And I can just, I had this image of like this, this property just falling off into the sea. And in Luke 8, God tells us that if we, if we hear his word and we don't act, if we don't listen to his word, it's like a man who builds his house on sand. And when the wind, wind and the rain come, the house falls down. And it actually says, and how great is that fall? How great, and I've got this picture of this house just falling off the cliff. How huge is that fall when we put everything we have into something and then it fails? And Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And it can be the same with our careers, our relationships. We can put everything we have into a career, a job, a relationship, a dream. But if God's not in it, and it's not God's calling on our life, it can fail and we can lose everything. Because our agenda doesn't win. What we want isn't necessarily what God wants. And we don't have control, and we can't see tomorrow. So you might think, okay, is it wrong to plan ahead? Like, what, is it wrong to plan and go and live abroad? Absolutely not. That might be God's calling on your life to go and live in another country. These guys, the Vargasans, have gone out to Cyprus and they're bearing so much fruit out there and it's God's calling on their life. It's not wrong to plan. We love to plan ahead. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, God has set eternity on our hearts. We know that the best is yet to come. There's something in us that knows that there's so much good to come. And there is. We were, we've come from Eden and there's this echo of Eden in us. We know that we've come from a really good place and we know that we're going back to a really good place. This is in our DNA. And so we love to plan ahead. And that's good and it's godly to plan ahead. And I think in when times are hard, like especially the last two years, we even want to plan ahead more because we've had such a hard 18 months. We're like, okay, let's just put something really good in the diary. Let's just put a really nice holiday in the diary that we can look forward to. You know, something, something good. And that's good, and that's a good thing to do. But there's a difference between dreaming with God and going into self-protection mode or escapism or selfish mode. 
And there's a line between making plans prayerfully with God and listening to him versus trying to control our circumstances and our situation, trying to protect ourselves and, and run away from fear and just put everything in our control because we're living in fear. Because we are really human and we are dependent on God revealing the next steps to us. Proverbs 16 verse 9 is one of my favorite proverbs. It says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can plan our way, but the Lord actually determines where we're going to tread our feet. Um, I've worked a lot in the Middle East and... Anyone who speaks Arabic will know that every other word they say is probably inshallah, which means if Allah wills, if it's the will of Allah, if it's their, their God's will. And I think, I think in the Middle East and in many other countries, they have an awareness that things can change tomorrow, just like that. And so they're more aware. They can kind of use it to their advantage because you can say to someone, I say, you want to come for dinner tomorrow night? And they'd be like, mm, inshallah. Uh, and you're like, oh, shall I cook? And they're like, inshallah. <laughs> and it can be frustrating. But I love that they have this awareness that we, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think with COVID, we've suddenly become aware that we don't know if we're going to have petrol for our cars to drive to your house tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen and whether we'll be able to make plans. And it's sobering. The next part in verse 14 says, um, what is your life? I mean, come on, James. <laughs> Cut to the point. What is your life? I mean, it's so sobering, isn't it? Who are we to try and control our circumstances? We can feel so small when we read this. There's 7.8 billion people in the world. James, I mean, <laughs> giving us a hard time. We're just one generation. We're one person in one generation of 7.8 billion people. We already feel small. And then he just goes further. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Wow. So why would he compare us to a mist? It's so fleeting. I don't know if any of you were around. A couple of weeks ago, there was a mist, a fog over London, and it was really foggy, and you couldn't really see anything in the morning. And within a couple of hours, poof, it's gone, and there's bright, bright sunshine. It was amazing. So you just think, okay, if we're a mist and we're going to come and go just like that, maybe we should just make the most of everything. And maybe we've got that mentality more after COVID because we've been on pause for so long. So we're like, quick. Let's go on the best holiday ever. Let's go to the best restaurants. Let's spend all our money. Let's consume everything we can. Let's buy the latest clothes because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And um, we can try and find meaning in those things. But anyone who's tried that or anyone who's tried to consume lots of things will realize that, yes, it can give us short-term pleasures. Absolutely. The best restaurant, the best food, the best holiday is definitely going to give you some pleasure. But it won't give you fulfillment. And in fact, the more you consume, the more you'll probably feel empty because it won't give you that fulfillment and that meaning that you're looking for. So without God giving us a purpose, it's difficult to find any meaning. Ecclesiastes 8 says, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search out, no one can discover its meaning. So if we are really just a mist, a mist that vanishes and there's no fulfillment in the things that the world is telling us, like power and great jobs and great holidays, what is the point? We could put everything we have into a great business or we could put everything we have into a relationship that we want. 
or even an addiction that we're addicted to, and then we could fail, left with nothing. It's kind of a bleak outlook. But 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32 says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I'll read that again. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, the gospel changes everything. It humbles us. We can see and believe. We can be in this room. I don't know where everyone's at in their journey of faith. I don't know if, if you are, you've been walking with Jesus for many years you're a, or you'd call yourself a new Christian or you're just investigating and looking into faith and believing in Jesus. But wherever you're at, you can see and believe that Jesus is Lord and that he came to bring us salvation. But if you're not changed by the gospel... I don't think there's any point. We are then just a mist. If we believe and say, yeah, yeah, I believe, but we're not changed by it, then we will just be a mist that comes and goes. But God did raise Jesus from the dead. And once we get revelation of that, it changes everything. And we're never the same. We then look at Jesus and we think, how can we boast? How can we boast in ourselves when we look at him? He's the one that carved out valleys He's the one that divided oceans. He's the one that designed the intricate details on butterfly wings. He is the one that formed the lungs inside of us when we were still inside our mother's stomachs and then breathed life into them. He's the one that created love that we could then love and share. He created hope. He gave us peace. He lived as a human on this earth. He came down and lived as a human on this earth. He was rejected even by his friends and died the most brutal death all so that he could show us the way back to the Father. He's paid all of our debts, all of the pain and the hurt and the wretched things that we've done. He has wiped away so that we can know the Father, so that those who choose to trust in him and obey him can know new life and become new creations in him, so that when the Father looks at us, he just sees the purity and the holiness of Jesus. Literally, we become holy and perfect in, in the Father's eyes. So when Jesus came to earth, he could have had such grand plans. He can heal anyone. He can heal any sickness, right? He can raise the dead. I think if I was on the planning team sending Jesus to earth, I would have done things a lot differently. I'd have got him to go to the poorest places. I'd have got him to fly across oceans, do lightning shows. You know, I think I'm glad I'm not on the planning team, <laughs> or I wasn't. But we can imagine, we can have these grand ideas of what could Jesus have done with the power that he had? But God's wisdom is so much greater than ours. God's wisdom chose for him to be born into a stable, to a poor family, to travel in this tiny place in the world has only traveled on foot to about three or four countries. He led a very simple life. He had no PR, he had no advertising, and yet his reputation over 2,000 years later is probably the most famous man that ever lived. His reputation exceeds him even now. Why? Why is that? John 5, 19, Jesus said to us, Truly, truly, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, only what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus, when he lived on this earth, he only did what the Father told him to do. He was obedient. Even at the most pressured moment of his life when he was about to die and he knew he was about to be killed, he said, 
Not my will be done, but yours. And it's interesting that James refers to us as a mist, because a mist, although it's foggy, it's transparent, and you can see through it. And I think when God looks at us, he can see straight through to our hearts. He can see straight through to our motives and what we're really about, what our real intentions are for. Because if we are, if we are just going to have this brief time on earth, shouldn't we consider the bigger matters that Jesus really made a point of focusing on, like faith and obedience? God has given this amazing opportunity to us to walk with him on earth, to know him intimately, to find meaning and purpose in him. Shouldn't we do everything in our power, everything in our resources and capacity to get closer to him and to find out more and to quiet all the voices of the world that is telling us we're going to find real satisfaction or joy in this? Because if our decisions about faith and how we live out our faith now determine the direction of our souls for the rest of eternity, shouldn't we wake up and fall on our knees and cry for mercy and ask for forgiveness? Shouldn't we live by faith instead of trying to control our circumstances? Because faith isn't the separate compartment that we just add on to our life. It's so much more than that. It takes action. It takes transformation that he does in us through the Holy Spirit. And true faith is integrated into our hearts and our mind and our actions and everything that we do. A life following Jesus means putting him at the center and doing things his way. Jesus said to us, if anyone wants to follow me, he needs to pick up his cross and follow me. And that means a cross is heavy. A cross cross can be hard and it can mean suffering. Uh, It can mean that we have to die to the things that we want. Not that God is hard-hearted or unloving or that he doesn't want to give us good things. Absolutely, he wants to give us good gifts. Absolutely, he is loving. He's loving enough that he died for us. But he knew that we needed to see humility. We needed to, to, to have humility to be able to see him. And sometimes suffering brings us to a place of humility. Suffering brings us closer to Jesus. It's us saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's a hard message. And personally, I have to say, the last year has been really difficult for me because I've had to sacrifice some really, really precious things. And it's not really been my will. I've had to say, not my will, but yours. And it's incredibly difficult. I'm living it. It's hard. And I hold on to two promises. One is that I know that he sees our sacrifices. I know that in Romans 8, it's told us that he will work everything together for our good and for his glory. So when we give stuff up, when we die to ourselves, when we give things up for him and for his faith, he's going to work it all for our good. Maybe he'll even give that, good, that thing back to you. It's not that maybe you, it's, a, it's a bad thing, it might be a really good thing, but if he's telling you to give it up, you need to listen to him. And the second promise that I hold on to is that for those who trust in him, there will be no shame. There's no shame for those who trust in him. Finally, verse 17, I'm going to jump to verse 17 because this really is the key of the passage. And it's opened and unlocked everything for me. 
If anyone knows the good, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. So we think sin is like this terrible thing. We Im- you immediately think of the, the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. These things, we're like, okay, I know that's, that's sin. But if we rewind back to the first lesson in the Bible, let's just take ourselves back to, to um, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Where do, what do we have? An apple tree. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate an apple. If I was to eat an apple right now, would you say that was a sin? Oh, nothing wrong with apples. But what happened was they doubted God. The serpent came in and made them doubt that God was really good and that God wanted good things for them. And God wanted to protect them. And they overrode that with their feelings of what they thought was best for them. The thing that's so horrible about sin is it's so deceptive and it's so attractive they thought that this apple was going to be good for them like if I try and think of that apple I'm like yeah that's probably like a pink gala with chocolate diamond taste in it you know it would have been a really nice apple they're not going to choose a bad apple and want to taste it are they it was going to be a good apple and sometimes the things we want are good things it's not necessarily that they're bad they probably look and taste and feel and smell really great But if we override what God's telling us to do, we're just as sinful as Adam and Eve. And that sin of eating that apple caused the downfall of humanity. That one sin led to to the millions of other sins that we've committed. And if we start ignoring his voice, the thing is that happens is his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter until we can't even hear it anymore. And the thing that's at the center of it is pride. That's what it is at the heart of it, is pride. It's saying that we know better. We trust ourselves more than we trust God. So who can stand before him? Who can say, okay, I've always done things your way. I've always been obedient. I've never feared that that I'm doing things wrong. I've never been selfish and done things my way. I've never been proud. I've never been scared. Can anyone in this room say that? I don't think anyone can. Nobody. Nobody on this earth can. Except Jesus. He is the one person that lived on this earth who can say, I only did what the Father told me to do. It's the same message from Genesis all the way to today. God has been saying to us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm faithful. I will rescue you. I will bring you into a spacious place. I will love you. You will have a love that, you, that will be on beyond your wildest dreams. Taste and see that I am good. So how do we respond to this? James is basically giving us the answer. We respond in humility. God's given us this amazing freedom of the gospel and this amazing opportunity to walk with him. Um, There's so much joy ahead. Jesus said that he could endure the cross because of the joy set before him. And I tell you, if anyone in this room is struggling, if anyone feels convicted and you're, you're thinking, oh, but it's so difficult, Jesus knows. But he also knows the joy that's ahead. And you can have faith that he will be faithful. And whatever you sacrifice for him, he will be faithful. And he will not put you to shame as you trust in him.
He will take away all of your sin and your shame and he will make you a new creation in him. So if you feel convicted now by anything that this passage has spoken to you about, I pray please don't let it sit in your heart or your mind. Don't let it fester. Please confess it. God is, it says when we confess our sins, God is faithful and true to forgive us. And he will forgive us and he will cover us and he will rescue us and take away our sin and give us freedom and life and his Holy Spirit instead. So whether you're, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you've been walking with Jesus for many years, I pray that if you feel convicted right now, please bring it before Jesus. Please find someone to pray with and let his light come. Let his light come because it's glorious and there is freedom and he's with you in the in valleys and he's with you in the mountaintops and he will never fail you. He has come to give us life and life to the full. Amen. I'll just hand over to Malcolm now. Thanks, Alice. Great to uh, be brought back to the cross. The cross changes everything. Jesus' death and resurrection and we're going to respond by taking communion together. This is a simple meal for those that believe in Jesus. Um, so, I mean, maybe at this moment you're, you're not quite there in terms of your faith, but uh, you're looking uh, to go on that journey. Maybe this is a moment where you can commit to following Jesus as well. Um, but it's very much a time when we're just sharing bread and wine, remembering what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So thanks to Alice for just redirecting us back from this passage back to that, that moment in history when Jesus died on the cross for us. So uh, I think the band are going to come back and lead us in some, uh, some worship in a moment. Uh, but let's just uh, distribute the, the juice and the wafers as they are. Um, and then we'll um, just uh, focus again on what Jesus has done for us and worship as well. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your, your love and your great uh, sacrifice for us. I'm just going to ask Kathy just to come and lead us in a little bit of a reflection, thoughts about communion as we go into that now. I think um, communion is a great response to um, what Alice has shared with us and from that passage, really. Um, I want to read from, from 1 Corinthians 11. It says... For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we take communion, we're obeying Jesus. We're doing what he calls us to do because he says, do this in remembrance of me. We're doing his will. And when we do this, we also boast. We've been told not to boast, but the Bible says the one thing we can boast in is boast in Jesus. Um, and Jesus um, calls us to proclaim his death until he comes. We boast of the death of Christ because he didn't stay dead, because he came back to life. And that's our boast today. As we take the bread and the wine, we boast in our Lord Jesus and proclaim his death 
until he comes. So in your own time, do take the bread and the wine. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can boast in your amazing death because we know that you were raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that gives us purpose, that gives us hope. Thank you that you give us beauty from ashes. Amen.
We're going to end our service there. If you want to just uh, pause and reflect and pray, then just stay in this this room. Uh, It'll be quieter in here. But if you want to chat with friends and catch up with people, uh, do go out into the refectory. There's tea and coffee served there. Um, So just want to say thank you to everybody that served today uh, on sound and visuals and hospitality and communion and all the rest of it. So we're very blessed uh, by you serving us. So thank you for that. But we're going to close there and just want to wish you a really great day together. So stay in here if you want to pray and do go out there and chat and get a coffee. Thank you.